Welcome to the QB List Week 6 What We Saw podcast. I am Eric Smith, and I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Heath to go through some of the takeaways from Week 6 fantasy football action. Uh, we got our What We Saw team writing up every single game, so please check out the article on the website for uh, every relevant player analyzed. Uh, we're just going to catch some of the important things this weekend. We're actually going to skip the Chiefs-Bills game because I know every single one of you are watching this game. So we don't need to tell you what you saw on this one because the whole world is watching Bills-Chiefs. But we'll catch you up on some of the other uh, maybe less notable games from the outside, but some um, interesting takeaways here. So, Ryan, uh, you got a, we both got a nice win this week. Um, we're happy this week. Any fantasy performances making you unhappy or is this going to be a positive podcast for once? This is going to be an overwhelmingly positive podcast. Uh, I had guys perform for me that I needed, and I didn't realize until right before we hit the record button, but a guy that I didn't want to perform actually didn't perform for once. Taysom Hill, what happened? Taysom Hill truthers. He got his five carries as usual, only went for 39 yards, no touchdowns. What? That's not going to get it done in fantasy. What, are we, what happened, guys? I don't understand. I, I thought that Taysom Hill was a tight end one. <laughs> well, let's get right into it. I mean, we're going to have a big segment up top, surprise performances, a lot of good, uh, but some bad. And yeah, we're going to start with Taysom Hill. Uh, like you said, five carries for 39 yards. I'm going to give a big breakdown later on of this Bengals Saints game. But yeah, let's start with Taysom Hill. It's funny because this kind of, the plays he was involved in were good plays. He only played 15 snaps. He only ran four routes, had five carries, but the offense worked well when he was involved in them. The, the issue with Taysom Hill is that he's a wildcat quarterback, essentially. And what that means is he's going to hand the ball off a lot. So there were a lot of rushes to Alvin Kamara when Taysom Hill was a quarterback that gives him zero points. Uh, and then he's going to rush the ball, which if you're playing in PPR, there's not much there. I mean, five carries, 39 yards. That's with a 31 yarder that he broke where he had a nice run. Uh, so like you mentioned on the sit start podcast, if he's not getting the goal line work and he's not catching passes, that just leaves us with. I mean, it's like Mark Ingram. It's like starting Mark Ingram at this point, only maybe a little more explosive than Mark Ingram. But yeah, I, I it's funny because this is still a good part of their offense and Taysom Hill is a valuable real life player, but we were right on the fantasy aspect of it. Yeah, Taysom Hill's role is essentially the wildcat role of Saquon Barkley, except it's not on the goal line. It seems like whenever the Giants get near the end zone, Saquon Barkley will take a wildcat snap or two. It's the same type of thing. Like sometimes he'll hand it off to Brita. Sometimes he'll just take it himself. Like that's basically what Taysom Hill is doing, except it's not on the goal line. It's just whenever they feel like they need a big play. And yeah, it tur turns out it's unreasonable to expect a guy to score every week on only five carries like that. Uh, just se seems like Cardinal rules of fantasy football is that, volume is king right so i i'm glad that came through for us the the world is not upside down this week at least uh though i will say uh rashid shaheed one carry for a 44 yard touchdown that that should have been Taysom hills man well i i guess rashid shaheed doesn't have tight end eligibility so we can't just meme about him all week unfortunately i don't think people are gonna go rushing to the waiver wire to pick him up uh since he's designated as a wide receiver but it's same idea, right? I, I'll, although maybe you can turn this around on me and say, yeah, the, I mean, the thesis of the Taysom Hill play was that play right there that just as easily could have been him. So I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a little too overconfident here in in the results. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole performance was kind of good and bad. Like, like I said, there's a moment where the Saints were taking over this game on the ground. And it as a Bengals fan it was 
pretty scary that the Bengals couldn't stop all the gadget plays and misdirection and stuff with Taysom. Uh, but then eventually they slowed it down because most NFL teams can commit to this stuff. On the positive side, the Saints had none of their receivers in. So this was like a broken passing game. And so maybe with a better passing game, there's more scoring. But you figure if Chris Olave and Michael Thomas are on the field, maybe Taysom Hill doesn't get the ball as much either. So yeah, it's kind of good and bad with Taysom Hill here. I think we're just looking at, you know, I kind of think he's more of a standard league play. If you're looking for a touchdown, I know the red zone work hasn't been great, but he is breaking some long runs. In a PPR league, though, it's just really hard to play a tight end that does not catch passes. It's just, we're, we're asking for an awful lot from this role. If he's not going to catch, even if he's just catching three or four passes a game, it'd be a totally different story. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll get to Bengal saints more, but since you brought it up, the one thing I want to mention right now is Chris Olave, not playing definitely very obviously caps this offense's ceiling and the way it can function. Um, that, that, that was like a really tough game day inactive. um, but I think what we can learn from Olave missing this game after a concussion, even though he practiced on Friday, seems like the NFL's concussion protocols are genuinely different than we've been used to. Like it, it used to be a guy would get a concussion and then if he practiced Friday, he was good 95% of the time. Yep. Now it seems like that's not the case. We saw similar with Isaiah McKenzie last week. So stuff to keep in mind if one of your players gets a concussion, I I would plan for him to not play the next week at this point. Yeah. And this isn't very fantasy focused here, but like even NFL coaches, I'm expecting them, they may need to change some strategy here. I mean, like, is it worth going for a QB sneak on third and one with Joe Burrow? If you can risk a concussion that puts him out for a week or two, like, I think some of this is going to have triple trickle down effects, just the way quarterbacks are used because you cannot risk a quarterback getting concussion. And especially if they're a good one missing two weeks. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, it, you would think that there would be some sort of chilling effect there. Although, although I will say I did watch Teddy Bridgewater enter the game as the backup, even though he was the backup for abundance of precaution from his concussion, he'd been cleared from yeah. and was immediately running outside the pocket and just pick, picking up yards with his legs. So yeah, I, you, you never know, I guess it's, it's in the heat of a moment like that. Yeah. I could, could understand a quarterback taking off but yeah like you said maybe the designed QB sneaks are going to be less which which is I guess unfortunate because those are those are generally pretty high success plays like we we always groan when they're handing off in the shotgun in third on third and one or third and inches yeah for sure. And I mean, you know, in a crucial game, they're still going to go to it. But just a thought. Uh, it also kind of uh, reminds me, I believe Jameis Winston was the emergency quarterback in the Saints game with back injuries. And it's like, if he's not starting, why is he the emergency quarterback? I, I, don't, I don't know. It seems like these guys are either healthy enough to play or just get a backup in there. But I digress. Okay, let's get on to next in our surprising performances here. That's a lot of Taysom Hill talk up top. But uh, let's get to Mike Gusecki here, Ryan. Uh, seven targets, six for 69 and two touchdowns. Is this for real? Um, are you kind of waiting on more information here or is he back on your radar? So I immediate caveat is that most of this was with Teddy Bridgewater throwing the ball. Um, th- things can obviously change back to Gasicki being invisible. Once Tua comes back, that that could just be the preferences of Tua. Yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of worth noting be- because look, I, I mean, 
streaming tight ends there everybody's a streaming tight end even Taysom Hill is we've talked about as a streaming tight end so the bar's not super high if you're able to get seven targets even if it's in a negative game script I think we have to consider you the Dolphins offense has liked to throw generally especially when they have had healthy quarterbacks so yeah I think Kosicki's like a uh, touchdown dependent type of tight end play going forward we not saying you have to run out to the waiver wire and grab him but he's possibly an option it's it's nice to have some more options yeah definitely I would say I, I haven't seen a lot out of this Dolphins running game which is surprising to me um we're still you know Raheem Mostert's still their best option he's already started to show up on the injury report. We'll see how long that works as him as the lead back. And Chase Edmonds has shown nothing behind them. So, you know, they had a lot of dropbacks today. It seems a little unsustainable, but I think this team's just going to pass it a ton. So if he can slot in as the third target behind um, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell, I do think there's going to be enough volume there for it to matter. So obviously we're going to need those weeks where the game script is right. Um, I would like to see some of PFF's breakdowns of, you know, how much was he out wide? How much was he in line blocking? How much did they play him? But outside of that, yeah, he's back on our radar and he should be on our radar because he's one of the few actual pass catching tight ends. So he's just going to have more upside. We just need the Dolphins to continue to use him as we would want to for fantasy purposes. Yeah. And on that, though, I will say in typical Gasicki fashion, uh, he, the two point conversion went straight through his hands <laughs> when they went for two uh, before attempting the onside kick since they were down 14. So that that was a little bit rough to see. I mean, they I'm sure they were thinking, yeah, he's gotten in the end zone twice today. Like, let, let's draw up a play and go right back to him. But, the, you know, the, the Gasicki's going to Gasicki. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, as tight end heavy start to the show here, but Robert Tunyon, 12 targets. And I think this is really notable because this Packers offense has just looked so stuck in the mud. Like there's an opportunity here for someone to step up. Uh, what do you think about Robert Tunyon? Is he just, I don't know, too boring or are we just chasing any volume at tight end right now? So the thing that makes Tunyon interesting to me is for once in his career, he's actually been commanding targets when he's been running routes, um, like when he's been on the field this year. He just hasn't been running that many routes. He's had limited snap shares up until now. But today, he led the team in targets, uh, had 12 of them, caught 10 of those for 90 yards. This kind of makes sense to me. Like I think I've said this before on this podcast. Looking at this Packers receiver core, it does not surprise me at all that Robert Tunyon is the guy that Aaron Rodgers wants to throw to the most. Uh, I mean, maybe his limited playing time has been based on health up until now. Obviously, it can take some guys a little longer to fully come back from ACL tears like he had sort of later on last year. It's been over nine months now, so he should be like a pretty much full go. Uh, So I think Tunyon's interesting going forward. He is somebody that I would add and kind of monitor the routes and the usage and like really think about plugging him in as like a low-end tight end one in the rankings. Yeah, we may need to have a talk about this Packers offense. We'll see if we get to it later on or on sit start, but um, this is not looking good from an offensive perspective for the Packers. I mean, losing 27 to 10 against the Jets, coming off a loss to the Giants. This team has not hit 30 points yet this year. They've had some low scoring performances, so Something has to happen here. I suspect they need some more juice than uh, Robert Tunyon can provide in the passing game. But um, I 
I, I agree with you. Rodgers is going to lock down on someone if he can, because they're just, there's nothing else in this passing game. I mean, we saw dubs underperform here and it's even the running backs are a little bit lackluster. So anyone who has a pulse right now is going to draw the attention of Aaron Rodgers. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Robert Tunyon leading your team in targets is not like a symptom <laughs> of a functional offense whatsoever. Right. Like th- th- I think this is what we said about Greg Dortch in the first couple weeks of the Cardinals offenses like that. If, if that's happening, there's probably something wrong, but I mean, yeah, there, there is something wrong with this Packers offense. And if Tunyon's going to benefit and give us another tight end play every week, then I, I great, I guess. <laughs> right. All right. Let's move on to uh, specifically Deion Jackson, but the Colts backfield, uh, Deion Jackson had a really awesome game today and then left with a quad injury. But what are your big picture takes here on Deion Jackson and maybe this Colts backfield as a whole? Yeah, Deion Jackson was leading all running backs uh, through the early slate of games uh, with 28.1 PPR points. What really pops out to me is 10 targets. He caught all 10 of them and he left late in the game with a quad injury. So I'm not saying Deion Jackson is going to come take over this backfield. Like very clearly that's not happening, especially with the injury. I don't know that he even is going to threaten Naheem Hines' role, who was also out with a concussion this week after even a full week later. Um, But I think the main takeaway is that there is valuable work in this Colts backfield. Like Matt Ryan is just dumping off to running backs like crazy. And that, which is not like traditional Matt Ryan behavior. He's been much more of a guy to lock in on outside receivers. That was a big part of the Bulls case for Michael Pittman uh, this year. But it it's just interesting to take note of, um, especially with Jonathan Taylor having kind, like outran Hines in routes so far this year as well. Like if you can buy low on Jonathan Taylor, that that like do it easy I, and i i've seen some people like very upset with that with their 101 overall draft pick of jonathan taylor like i i think that this is like a a very clear buying opportunity yeah i mean 58 dropbacks today for matt ryan i know they put up 34 but this can't be the way that the colts want to run the offense with matt ryan um, up there in age like this isn't sustainable so in in one sense that inflates everyone's receiving work so i wouldn't you know, I don't know if I'd read too much into the 10 targets in a running back, but you're right. It is encouraging for when Taylor gets back. I think this whole offense, uh, our, the fantasy prospects for all of these individual players is all going to revolve around Jonathan Taylor. How soon before he's back? And then like when he's back, does he look like a player with a high ankle sprain or does he look like his old self? Because that could really sink. I mean, can you imagine if JT's back, but he's not good and they try to run this offense like a, a Jonathan Taylor led offense, like it could be really ugly. So I'm really curious, Ryan, just like how pass heavy this offense looks. When's JT back and what's he look like when he returns on the field? Is it a confirmed high ankle sprain for Taylor? Because I remember right after it happened, they were saying that all the tests on his ankle were negative and that yeah. now he's missed two games, obviously. I, like, I feel like we're getting gaslit a little bit on the Jonathan Taylor ankle where he was supposed to have a chance to play on Thursday night football, like four yeah. days later. So yeah, I will. Yeah. I'll, I might jump on that line of thought with you. I, I high ankle sprains are devastating for running back productivity. I, we saw that with Saquon Barkley last year and who and looks like a totally changed a new man now that he's had a full off season. Yeah. High ankle sprains, running backs come back and play on them and it just completely saps their effectiveness. So yeah, I, I guess the downside is, 
potential of this is that Taylor's just ineffective. Maybe there's more of a backfield split. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. God, you talked me out of it, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I would remain pessimistic on Jonathan Taylor. Well, we need to do some uh, – we'll do some news blurb scouting uh, before the sit start. Let's figure out if this is a high ankle sprain or not because I agree. I they call It seemed like it was one at first. They denied it. I, I just am kind of assuming since he missed a divisional game here, but I, it could be a regular ankle, ankle sprain. So let's check into that. We'll report back and sit start. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll give us a quote this week. They'll clear things up. So otherwise, like I suppose Hines comes back in and takes his role. I, I, Jackson is worth – probably sticking on your bench now though just to see if either Hines or Taylor is going to miss more time yeah I'd agree if he's available and he is in a lot of leagues yeah I definitely like not not a crazy bench stash at all um let's move on to another running back uh with a pretty surprising performance Kenyon Drake out touched uh J.K. Dobbins 10 carries to seven uh Drake also added two targets and on those 10 carries he took them for 119 yards and a touchdown uh the the touchdown run was like a, about a 30 yarder like this isn't like him making his entire day on one huge play either so it being fairly efficient whereas Dobbins only gained 15 total yards on those seven carries so I I don't know, Eric, like it, are we just back to not trusting JK Dobbins and thinking that th this is because he's just coming back slowly from this injury or are, are we, are our alarm bells kind of ringing a little more long-term for JK Dobbins a month off of this injury, getting out touched and outperformed by Kenyon Drake of all running backs. Yeah, I think we should be concerned. I mean, I thought he looked pretty good last week. He looked fast, but uh, there was no efficiency, seven carries for 15 yards today. And like we keep, I mean, I keep saying the same thing every week, but I mean, if we don't have passing game work from him, he had zero targets. Like, what are we chasing here? Are we ever going to get a 25 carry game out of him? I'm not sure anytime soon anyway. So we're basically just chasing touchdowns at that point. And there are a lot of running backs you could chase touchdowns with. Uh, Lamar's always a threat to steal them. So yeah, the, the fact that Kenyon Drake gets the 10 for 119 and Dobbins goes for seven for 15, like I, that could switch around next week, I suppose. I mean, I, it's kind of fluky at times running back, trying to predict the yards per carry stuff. But I, I just think it's worth remembering no passing game work. Lamar is basically a running back along with him. Like it just makes Dobbins a very inconsistent start from week to week. But I did want to point out, uh, we called the Giants uh, a run funnel defense. This was a good matchup for running backs. They're a tough passing game defense. They're going to allow rushing yards. We just we just didn't call the Kenyon Drake game, Ryan. So I guess we should take the L on that one. Yeah, we we I think we specifically said, hmm, we don't know if this is going to be J.K. Dobbins or Lamar Jackson benefiting. It turns out it was Kenyon Drake. Look at us. Look, yeah. look, look how close and how far we were. <laughs> That's the story of 2022. The, the process was right. It just did not go according to plan. So, OK, um, I'm glad that Travis Etienne caught your attention this week because he caught mine last week. I think he looks like a really good running back uh, after being down on him most of the offseason. I'm. I'm on board. I think I started to get there when his draft price dropped a little bit preseason, but uh, ETM looks like a really excellent player going forward, uh, regular season or dynasty, how, whatever league you're in, ETM looks like a good player. Yeah, I call me interested. It seemed like uh, every time I glanced at red zone, Travis ETN was breaking off like a 20 yard play. And it seems like he's just explosive on the ground. Like th this isn't even really the role we 
totally envisioned for ETN before the year, thinking he was going to be just this target dominator, going to be catching all these passes out of the backfield. He, he's just getting it done on the ground. And that, I mean, that's awesome. That that's, I guess that's uh, icing on the cake, as they say. Yeah. Um, I will mention that uh, d- despite ETN outgaining Robinson 108 to 55 in total scrimmage yards, uh, there was that Jamichael Hasty play. <laughs> um, just took the took the ball, uh, saw a gaping hole on the right side, and ran through it for a 61 yard rushing touchdown. Uh, I I did not know Jamichael Hasty was on the Jaguars until this happened. I learned I learned that today along with everybody else. I, I don't think Jamichael Hasty is a threat in this backfield, though. Do you? No. I mean, that's what I put in the show notes. Can we just give that 61-yard touchdown to ETN, please? Like, I, I mean, Hasty ends up with 57 yards rushing on the day, so it's not like he did anything other than that one long run. But I do think it's encouraging. Like, we've seen ETN, James Robinson, and Jamichael Hasty all break off long runs in this offense. I mean, ETN had one early on where he got caught by the safety on the sideline. But yeah, I, I think it's really encouraging that they're springing long runs from this offense. There's a lot of issues with this offense, but they have had some explosion in the running game. So I, I agree with everything you said. I was, I'm very impressed with ETN as a runner, which was my main concern with him. So I'm very impressed with what he looks like between the tackles. Shows off a lot of speed. Uh, it's the passing game work we need to see improve and only two targets. That's less than ideal. It's always hard to know if we can trust a quarterback or a play caller or whoever to like get the ball to these running backs more consistently through the air. So I don't know if we can bank on that or not. I feel like that's what's separating ETN from uh, maybe the next player we're going to talk about who's like a legitimate RB1 option. Yeah, and let's talk about him. Brees Hall, he's he's arrived, folks. Uh, I, we, we've kind of been saying this for the last week and a half or so, but... D- the, so 20 for 116 rushing yards and a touchdown on the ground. The one thing you can pick out of this performance is only two targets for Hall. He also ran the, not that many routes, um, only eight routes uh, to Michael Carter's nine. Uh, but I mean, that's out of a possible 21 dropbacks. So <laughs> maybe just some context here. Seems like Hall and Carter are going to split passing game work, whereas Hall is very clearly the favorite option on the ground. So I I think Brees Hall is game script proof. I think he's an efficient, highly drafted, extremely athletic young running back, and we don't have many of those in fantasy football right now. So I yeah, yeah it's yeah it's overwhelmingly clear to me that there, there's not that many players I would rather have on a roster than Brees Hall right now. Yeah, totally agree. This was another one we called on the Sit Start podcast. We called the Packers defense as a uh, run funnel defense, and this is certainly how this one went. Uh, We had, uh, let's see, 20 dropbacks for the Jets passing game and 35 rushing attempts. So, yeah, it's encouraging, kind of like ETN, to see Brees Hall able to get it done in a game where he's just running the ball. Uh, 20 carries for 116 yards. He had a 34-yard for a long, so... Yeah, encouraging stuff for Brees Hall. He can get it done uh, multiple different ways. Like you said, that's why he's game script proof. So uh, the Jets passing game is another issue. But again, like it's a game where they had the lead and they leaned on the run. So I don't know how broken it is so much as they just had more success running the ball. Yeah, I I think the Jets don't want to run. If they, if they can, or excuse me, I think the Jets don't want to pass. If, <laughs> if they can get away with just running the ball 35 times, they absolutely will. And I, 
I'm interested to see what some of these spreads will look like on upcoming Jets games because they, they've been actually controlling this game script and be- beating teams they probably shouldn't have, honestly. So I, if the Jets become like favorites every other week now, I yeah, this will it'll be a little bit different for us as far as far as proje- projecting this backfield usage. Yeah, it's it's been funny as a Bengals fan. Some of these uh, early season games, all of a sudden, it's like, well, I guess the Cowboys were actually a good team, and wait, the Jets were a good team, and it's kind of it's been an interesting process figuring out this league. That's for sure. So, okay. Um, other than that, um, anything quarterback wise you want to touch on? We had a little bit of an up week for streamers here. Yeah, I mean, as much as I said that the quarterback streaming options were bad this week, I, three out of four of them really came through for us. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, only 8.6 fantasy points, um, but that Marcus Mariota, 24.2, even against San Francisco. We'd love to see that. Justin Fields, 18.1 fantasy points on Thursday night, and Jimmy G did exactly what we expected, gave, gave us our 16.9 fantasy points. I, yeah, I mean, both, both of the ceiling options hit, and Jimmy G is the floor option also hit, so just... Just wanted to take a few seconds to pat myself on the back there. That's the only real reason that it's in the show notes. That, that's incredible. That Sunday morning live stream I did with Jeff Burkus. I mentioned Jimmy G is a potential streamer. And I was like, I'll get you the 18 points you want. And sure enough, I did take 41 attempts. So I think that's a little discouraging, uh, but you'll take it if you start Jimmy G. And then Marcus Mariota, like, I mean, if he's going to run the ball in for a touchdown, he's going to be a good streamer. That's for sure. Pretty disastrous performance if you started anyone in the passing game just because uh, the Falcons got ahead <laughs> against San Francisco. You're just not going to see any volume. But I guess, you know, Pitts actually scored a touchdown. So there was a little something there. Still didn't matter because he went three for 19, but he scored a touchdown. Yeah, Pitts scored a touchdown. And also Michael Pruitt scored a touchdown, which is the ultimate Arthur Smith troll, even from back in the Tennessee days, with Michael Pruitt taking away Jonu Smith and Delaney Walker touchdowns. So that that was like a huge blast from the past for me because Michael Pruitt, it, for some reason in my mind, like is that touchdown vulture tight end player. Uh, yeah. Like if, if I ever have a showdown slate that he's on, like I'm playing him every time. He, he is like the quintessential showdown tight end. Yeah. Big week, though. I mean, between Pitt scoring a touchdown and uh, Allen Robinson got one in the late slate. So uh, <laughs> the, the, the apocalypse is near, I think. That's all we can take from that. So, all right. Uh, any of these duds you want to talk about for the week, Ryan? I mean, I kind of like mentioned, you know, Jeff Wilson Jr., Packers offense, Jets running game. We've kind of, or passing game, excuse me. We, we've kind of hit on some of these already, but just any disappointing performances you thought were worth bringing up? Uh, nothing really additional to what you just mentioned. And we obviously hit on those a little bit. Um, I, for Jeff Wilson, I will just add that the fumble he had was very costly. Uh, I, I think that was what led to the Michael Pruitt touchdown. If, if I have my, my yeah. times right. Um, so yeah, it, it was, um, pretty discouraging for him. Um, we'll be interested to see if this causes any changes in the 49ers backfield. Um, but I, I don't know that that might be making too many assumptions. Tyrion Davis-Price is back practicing, but he is coming off a high ankle sprain. So it's another one of those where it's like, I don't know how much juice he's going to give them. And Tevin Coleman's there. And yeah, this is, it's interesting to see San Francisco only go 16 for 50 on the ground against Atlanta, which clearly means that we're going to get good performances from Ayuk, Kittle, Debo Samuel. So it just, it really shows you how interconnected um, the running game is with this offense. And when it is going, they just fully abandoned the passing game so it's 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 very hit or miss with the 49ers it just depends on how the early game script goes and they fell down 14 in this one 
Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, Atlanta was another defense that we called out as being a big pass funnel on the sit-start yeah. podcast. So that, I mean, that obviously the game script helped with that, but that that seemed to bear out. I mean, if you can make the 49ers drop back 41 times, like you, they, they're going to shoot up the pass funnel rankings after this week, I think. Yep. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention on the Packers offense, like Aaron Jones, nine for 19. Uh, rushing three catches for 25 receiving and then uh, Romeo Dobbs 21 yards on nine targets like we mentioned that Packers offense up top and we talked about it a little bit with Tunyon here but it's pretty ugly right now I thought they were going to be able to skate by and just kind of win games until they figured this out but it's not quite happening so they need to make some changes here I'm not sure where they go but uh, that whole offense looks rough. I don't really trust anyone at this point. We're not at that point. We thought we were going to get to the spot where like both Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon were good plays every week. We're not getting there. So um, I don't know. I am looking at the stats now. Robert Tunyon, 38 routes run. Uh, that was third most on the team. So it does look like his role is increasing. But like Tunyon is a tight end streamer. Lazard's pretty good. But other than that, there's not much in this offense. Yeah, but Bobby Tunyon supremacy. That yeah, that, I think that's the lesson here. Honestly, yeah. yeah with the running backs, it's tough because the, I mean, for this whole like they're both seeing essentially the same role and the same types of touches to work. The offense has to be good if if we want either of them to be good for fantasy. So, yeah, yeah pro- probably another rankings headache for you coming up here, Eric. Just ranking yeah. the continuing to rank the Packers running backs every single week. Yep. And then as far as that Jets passing offense, I mean, it, we're at the point of the season now where they're four and two, they're winning games and they're going, they're going to keep trying to win games. And so if they have to run the ball 35 times, they will. So I, I would expect uh, some of this lower volume to keep up if they keep playing well and with a lead. So, okay. I think that's a pretty good recap, Ryan. Um, I don't know if, if you want to hear some more Bengals Saints notes though, let me know. Cause I got a whole bunch of them here. Yeah, why don't we why don't we get into Bengal Saints a little bit? Um, so I I guess my first question is are are do we is all forgiven with Jamar Chase? Like a really big performance from him this week. I it's all forgiven for now. Uh, I I'll say this was the first week where it looks like they figured things out, and it was on offense, and it was kind of interesting because Chase was kind of like the final piece that slid into place here. Uh, it's just I don't know. It was really cool watching it develop. Like. Bengals start out started out slow in this one, but they really started leaning into shotgun runs and RPOs. I think the RPOs was the big thing, which was good. They basically like abandoned their under center run game and, and the play action they run out of it because it's just terrible. So they just went shotgun. They let Burrow make decisions on RPOs and it started opening things up for some of the other receivers and the running game functioned pretty well. It was nice that they only ran it eight times with Mixon though, instead of trying to just, you know, it's like, oh, we got the running game going. Let's just start pounding the ball. They didn't do that. They, they kept it efficient. And so Chase still struggled early on, but the rest of the offense kind of started working around him. And then he started like breaking tackles and making plays in the second half. Uh, and it was really encouraging to see it look like the old Chase. Like he, he had a, a really nice touchdown from Burrow that was just a guy all over him. It looked like that Burrow to Chase connection in the red zone. Um, he actually let a ball go through his hands on a deep shot down the sideline. So he could have had an even bigger day. Um, and then finally the go-ahead touchdown, it was like a comebacker. He broke a tackle and took it to the house. Like it just looked like all the Jamar chase stuff that we want other than the go balls from last year, but he almost hit on it. So yeah, it was really encouraging, but it, it was very notable to me that like the rest of the offense fell into place. They figured some of that out and then it freed up chase to have a little bit of room to function. And it, you really saw it down the stretch because 
the Saints had the ball like almost the whole second half and the Bengals still were able to put up points and win this game coming from behind. Yeah, my next question was going to be, I mean, a lot of this discourse on Jamar Chase this week has been around his average depth of target and the types of routes he's running where he overwhelmingly this year, he's been fairly short intermediate, hasn't really been getting a lot of those deep shots, but it sounds like even if they weren't connecting, he was at least getting down the field a little bit more than he has been so far. Yeah, and I will note that the protection was pretty good in this one. Um, New Orleans didn't get a lot of pressure, and they've they haven't gotten a lot of pressure this year. They've been a solid defense, but it hasn't been because of their their pressure on quarterbacks. So maybe this is still a problem for the Bengals' offense when there's a really good pass rush they're going against. But I think that's what it's been with Chase is they just don't have enough time to throw. There was one they missed early on in this game where it was an intermediate route over the middle probably would have gone for 20 plus and Burrow just didn't have quite enough time and got hit as he threw it. And so I think that's a lot of it. It's not that Zach Taylor doesn't want to get chase the ball downfield, but they just haven't held up long enough to let those routes develop. So as they went shotgun today, did more RPO, uh, it, it looked like it backed things off a little bit and, and they had time to throw. So yeah, it, he's getting the ball downfield more in this one. And it just really, it just opened up space. He's so good after the catch that even if it's not deep, um, just get him a catch on a comebacker and he can break a tackle and make the play. So just really opened up space for Chase overall. And that's the key thing. Yeah, I mean, de- definitely important to keep in mind with, as far as setting expectations for the Bengals is the opposing pass rush, as you mentioned. I, I wanted to make a comparison to the Rams uh, because they- they've had pretty similar issues this year from what I've seen where they j- just won't really let things develop downfield because they don't really have the time and that it, ends up just being quick short throws to cup and to Tyler Higby of all people. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the thought was this week that maybe, maybe the, uh, maybe they would get a little more done against the Panthers, but through the first half of the late slate, uh, only that one touchdown to Allen Robinson. So maybe the, maybe not having a pass rush against them wasn't the magic <laughs> medicine for the Rams offense. Yeah. And so otherwise, like, the first half, Tyler Boyd looked really good. He had a big first half. It was coming on those RPOs, and it was exactly the way you would want them to use Boyd. Like, he was in the slot. It'd be an RPO, and Burrow would pull it back and hit him. Uh, it was actually downfield a little bit. He would hit him. Like, uh, Tyler Boyd ends up going six catches on six targets for 66 yards, and he looked really good, and it was a big part of this. And I just hope that they keep all these lessons from this game because this was how they should run the offense, in my opinion. Um so yeah, Boyd looked good. He may be on the uptick a little bit here. I mean, it's not like, you know, Joe Burrow dropping back to pass 40 times is some outlandish number. Like this could be pretty common and seeing Boyd more involved was really encouraging. And then T Higgins, like 10 targets, six catches, 47 yards, doesn't sound great, but he really did look good in this one. He started slow. He had a couple drops, but um, he had some big catches in the second half, broke a tackle on a big play. He looked pretty healthy. I, Maybe he doesn't have the downfield threat ability right now with his his ankle issue, but Higgins gutted it out, and he contributed a lot more to the game than you would think from a 6-for-47 line. So you should be encouraged for any of the three top Bengals receivers here. Awesome. Anything to talk about on the Saints side? We we beat the Taysom Hill horse to death already. But I, I mean, Alvin Kamara, uh, the usage was certainly there this week. Nine targets, 19 carries. That That's the type of Alvin Kamara usage that we're used to seeing. So what what were your thoughts kind of on the Saints run game? Yeah, I mean, 
it looked really good. The, I think we need to keep note of the Bengals' defense going forward. It's finally catching up to them with DJ Reader hurt, and the Saints were just running at will through most of this game. Uh, some of it was Taysom Hill in the wildcat formation. Some of it was Kamara just looking really good, um, breaking tackles, getting outside for decent runs. Uh, it was it was consistent all game long, the running game. Uh, they broke that long reverse to Rashid Shahid. Like that was a hidden yardage play there for the running game. So overall, I mean, they rushed for 224, which makes sense. Like 34 carries when they had no receivers. Like this is just the way they had to operate. But the rushing game looked good. Even Mark Ingram was getting downhill, you know, nine for 46. It was exactly what you'd think Mark Mark Ingram would be. Like didn't do much, but got the yards that were blocked for him. So yeah, Kamara looked really good. Like he dropped a screen on third and eight that could have been a nice play. Uh, but overall, he looked Good, good. They targeted him a, a decent amount. I mean, nine targets led the team. So, yeah, I would be encouraged. Uh, obviously, you want touchdowns from him. So, at some point, we need either Winston to come back or these receivers to come back because Dalton was just pure, just check down. Like, first sign of problems, just throwing the ball away. Like, there's just nothing there that's going to sustain you when the rest of the offense is struggling. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to Andy Dalton, like if Marquez Callaway is my <laughs> number one receiver, then I, yeah, I'm probably just going to throw it away and not, not trust anything to develop uh, yeah. seven targets for Callaway on a team high 33 routes run. Yeah. Th- these receivers need to get healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. But still I've seen this from Dalton enough times. Hopefully Winston seems like he's close. So this could start to get a little interesting if Winston gets healthy, looks like Winston of old, the receivers get healthy. I, I'm a little skeptical, though, between Winston and Michael Thomas that, I mean, how many games are they going to play together the rest of the season, really? That's true. I mean, we need to we need to come back on to this Michael Thomas narrative because I've he played like three games and then we <laughs> all kind of forgot about how he low-key sat a season out. So, yeah, it it makes you think and it makes you wonder um, anything else on this saints Bengals game before we move on, Eric. No, I think that covers most of it. I, I just would stress that I do think something changed in this one for the Bengals offense. I hope they stick with it. And like, like I said, like they made every drive count in the second half because they couldn't get the saints off the field, despite what the scoreboard looked like. Like the saints opening drive of the third quarter was like eight minutes long for a field goal. So I think something changed here. I just hope we see more of this game plan going forward. And it was encouraging, even though Mixon only got eight carries, like four for 23 and a touchdown in the passing game. And they were looking to him on swing passes several times. So he looked terrible on a couple of pass blocking things. But uh, other than that, uh, I think you're fine with Joe Mixon as well. All right. Well, let's move on to talking about Monday Night Football really quickly. Uh, we got Broncos at Chargers in an AFC West tilt that probably sounded a lot more intriguing in the preseason, I'm <laughs> sure, when the NFL was doing this schedule. Uh, I, I shouldn't even make fun of this game. Like, th- this is what probably the best uh, Monday or Thursday game we've had in the last two weeks, right? Am I forgetting one? I, I, I'm just happy it's not Bears Commanders. I mean, this is a team that these team a game that these teams need. I mean, Broncos two and three, Chargers three and two. It's yeah, it it could be much worse, and it's still an important game. So we got to take our victories when we can, Ryan. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's some interesting plays this week. Like I've seen a lot of people panicking on Melvin Gordon with the rib and neck injuries. He's been limited in practice. I still kind of figure that Melvin Gordon's going to see like fifty to sixty percent of the snaps here. I, I haven't seen anything that really makes me that worried, but. 
I don't know about you, Ryan. I, I was curious to see if he practiced on Saturday, which I think they practiced because there's Monday night. And of course, there's just no reporting on it. So um, keep an eye out for that. But I'd feel relatively safe firing up Melvin Gordon this week. Yeah, the reports I read seemed to lean positive that he was going to play, um, yeah. but could certainly change um, after this podcast is out. Yeah. I kind of think that, that this caps his ceiling more than anything. Uh, even last week, he only saw 56% of the snaps. Uh, but to be yeah. fair, that that was for 18 total opportunities compared to Mike Boone, who only saw 10 total opportunities, three targets and seven carries. So I, I think the best case for someone like Mike Boone is like a true 50-50 split. Uh, and I mean, that, sure, that that's like a a punt play, I guess that that would qualify for a running back punt play. Um, and he's certainly could be on waivers or st- like stashed on people's benches. So that I guess we have to maybe consider him as like a very back end flex play. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I still think there's going to be some production from this backfield. So I'm, I'm generally interested in overall. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a board with you. Um, Actually, both of these backfields, like I just, I'll take my chances with some of these backups, Mike Boone, Latavius Murray, if he's ever active, uh, Joshua Kelly. Like, I do think there's, we can see more from these offenses going forward. And I think it will trickle down to these running backs. Yeah, there's been no reporting on whether Latavius Murray will be active either, uh, by the way, this week. If if that's the case, I'd be a lot more worried about Boone, I think. Uh, but yeah, just yeah. what, I don't know what it is with this, these Monday night games, there's just, just no reporting ahead of time for them. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, um, but, I mean, but the, this is we pegged Denver as a run funnel defense mainly just because they're so good against the pass. I think it's more so that than anything. Uh, but then the Chargers are also very bad against the run. So if you're looking for a desperation play, this might be the right game. Absolutely, yeah. Um, let's talk about the Chargers pass catching situation here. Yeah. Uh, I on the Sit Start podcast, I complained about Josh Palmer seeing high value opportunities in the end zone and never capitalizing on them. But I, I mean, I think he's still kind of like a low end flex play once again. He's averaged nine point one oppo per game this year. He's still running every single route. Keenan Allen's doubtful. Seems like we're still going to see Josh Palmer playing a lot. And uh, you're you're banking on and hoping for a touchdown to make his day more than likely. I don't think he's going to command a ton of targets, but that that's just where we're at with Josh Palmer. We Keenan Allen, please get healthy and come back. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, maybe the, the Broncos coverage forces uh, the ball to Palmer more, maybe they can lock down Mike Williams a little bit. So yeah, I keep wanting Josh Palmer to happen. And I do think it's a gamble worth taking in this offense, but it's been pretty frustrating so far. That's for sure. But I'm still on board. I haven't left yet, Ryan. Yeah. I threw Palmer into the range of outcomes tool uh, next to Mike Boone. Uh, And I think I agree with the tools take on this. Um, So it basically shows a better ceiling for Mike Boone. So if you need more than 11.6 fantasy points, then you should go with Boone. And if you need less than 11.6, you should go with Palmer. Palmer's going to have some amount of target volume that probably does make his floor better. Mike Boone's floor is that Latavius Murray just out touches him. But I I mean, his ceiling, Mike Boone's an explosive player. I would not be shocked to see a 70 yard touchdown run from Mike Boone that makes his day. So I, think that gives him a little bit extra of a tail over a just really gross play like Josh Palmer. 
Yeah, that's fair. Maybe Gordon gets dinged up and yeah, it opens up a bigger workload. So yeah, I would start Palmer over Boone, but I don't think Boone's the absolute worst, you know, desperation RB2 play if you're just kind of punting one of your running back positions. So yeah, I agree with all that. All right. And then the last thing I just wanted to mention is just as far as Gerald Everett goes, I think he's still a tight end one this week. Not that you have another option against him in this game. You're, you're not playing any of the Broncos tight ends, Um, but Everett still ran 26 routes last week uh, to just five for Donald Parham. That was Parham's first game back from injury. Uh, So it's possible his activity ramps up and Everett just, loses all of these routes and isn't viable anymore but for this week i think you ha- you are certainly trusting him over sobert or akua Boonham. so that yeah. roll with him and definitely I'm, I'm sure we'll update you on the sit start podcast this week of what what the usage ended up looking like yeah I'll, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that but i mean you know we're chasing a touchdown with him just like all these tight ends and the weeks he doesn't score a touchdown it's probably not gonna be great but he does at the end of the day have justin herbert throwing him the ball so that's that's why we keep going back to him it looked like for a minute maybe we had a mini breakout coming from everett I, that's probably not happening so we're just back into the kind of you know hayden hurst type by uh, tyler conklin type range hopefully a little better than that but we still we need touchdowns from everett so that's Maybe we should just pay more attention to the red zone role than anything else on him. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, hey, T- Tyler Higby getting the last laugh as the <laughs> as the Los Angeles tight end that fantasy managers don't want to draft. Tur- turns out Higby was was I rest of season. I think I feel way better about Higby than I do Everett. Yeah, it's it's been tough sliding against Carolina so far, but um, yeah, let's we need that that volume back up, Tyler. You're on every one of my uh, best ball teams, so let's get a let's get a 12 point week this week. Yeah, uh, on every best ball team, and Tyler Higby was tight end chalk in DFS this week as well. That is apparently busting. So that I I don't know what I expected with tight end chalk. Why would I even play tight end chalk? <laughs> oh, tight end. It's uh, yeah, one of these years, man. If something doesn't change, we're gonna have to have a discussion about this position because it's what's the point? There's like three of them, and it just doesn't matter. Yeah, I play in leagues where instead of a tight end position, there there's just a wide receiver slash tight end position. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, if your team is bad, then maybe you will end up playing like TJ Hawkinson in one of those spots or whatever. But yeah. it's I think it's nice to have that flexibility. It kind of simplifies our job as analysts, keeping track of yeah. all this usage as well. So yeah, it I w- I would endorse it honestly. Yeah, I think it takes a little bit of strategy away from drafts. But once we get past the draft, I don't think tight ends bring a whole lot to the table. So that would be my only my only downside would be it's just like quarterbacks, running backs, receivers at that point and uh, not much to think about. But yeah, it's it's frustrating to just run these guys out. I mean, we mentioned with Hawkinson, but I mean, the fact that he can go from that monster game to nothing the next week, it's just very frustrating at tight end. That's fair. Yeah. I, I think in like best ball formats, I like the tight end position just be, because it, especially in best ball, you're very focused on like your roster construction, yeah. at what point you're taking certain positions, how many of them you're taking. Are you doing a two tight end build? Are you doing a three tight end build? Are you doing a hero tight end build when you just drafted Travis Kelsey in the first round and don't take any others? 
So yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you there. I, at least in best ball, we should probably keep it. Not that we're making the decisions on this. <laughs> yeah. And everyone listening who has Kelsey or, or Andrews on the team are just screaming, no tight ends must stay. So it's definitely a big advantage. So I've gotten to the point in DFS where it's kind of hard to justify not playing one of the top options. If I mean, I, nobody else has the upside that uh, the top couple of tight ends have. So uh, it's hard to leave leave those uh, points spent on another position when like it's just Kelsey or Andrews. So I don't know, maybe all of your DFS lineups should just go with one of those two tight ends from now on. Yeah. See, I think that every week and then I'm like, well, no, I'm going to get different. This is, this is yeah. how I galaxy brain, but yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good recap of week six. Um, again, we didn't cover a lot, nothing from the chiefs bills game or the Sunday nighter. So please check out the article for that. Um, we'll have some great breakdowns. Our, our primetime breakdowns are always really excellent. So make sure you check those out. Um, but yeah, otherwise, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you can get some uh, last minute magic and pull out your week six wins. Um, we've got the waiver wire podcast coming to you soon with Callan and AJ. And uh, before you know it, we'll be back for set start. So thanks again and enjoy the rest of your weekend.